0: As you all know, SharpFootballAnalysis.com is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. We just introduced late season pricing. You can choose from season-long, four-week, or weekly packages that best suit your needs. Use code SHARP25 for 25% off any product site-wide at (laughs) SharpFootballAnalysis.com. Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal. Hope you all had a good Thanksgiving last week. If you follow along with my prop suggestions from last week, you know, we had kind of a disappointing day on Thanksgiving, going 3-5 and five overall. Missing out on the Stefan Diggs over by just four yards was especially frustrating because he obviously had plenty of opportunities in that game against the Saints. But we're back at it again this week, so let's get things started by talking about a few of the big Week 13 games. And unfortunately, we don't have very many of them, so... Uh, we're going to start with what I think is pretty clearly the game of the week. Patriots at Bills on Monday night. Bills favored by three, total set to 42 and a half. And you know, I'll, I'll just tell you right at the top, I don't have a strong lean in this game. I'm going to stay away from betting either the side or the total, but I wanted to bring it up because it is pretty clearly the game of the week. And I will be watching this closely as far as you know how it sets my expectations for the Bills specifically moving forward, because the Bills run game run defense overall has been very strong this season however against you know unquestionably the two best run teams they face the Titans and Colts they got gashed Uh, they couldn't get off the field against either of those two teams and so I that's a red flag obviously you know as I said they look great in all their other games their run defense has been dominant more often than not but you know are they the type of team that's just gonna look kind of soft when they go up against those more powerful rushing attacks like the Titans and against the Colts. And I think we might learn something about them this week because the Patriots are not quite on the uh, Titans or the Colts level, at least when the Titans have Derrick Henry, obviously, as they did against the Bills. They're not quite on that level, but they're really close. The Bills, obviously, early in the season, their run game got off to, or I'm sorry, the Patriots, uh, run game got off to a little bit of a slow start early in the season. And when they played the Bucs in week four, their run game was non-existent against that strong Bucs defense. But since week five, the Patriots rank fourth in run game success rate. So this has become one of the better rushing teams in the league uh, for you know the better part of the season now. So, my question going into this game is like, are we going to see the soft Bills defense that we saw against the Titans or the Colts? Or are we maybe going to learn that, you know, those two games are more of the exception than the rule? Maybe they just had got off to a bad start in those games. Maybe certain things started to snowball out of their control. And the Titans and Colts just kind of, you know, found themselves in a good position to just kind of run things up on them. And maybe that's the case, but if we see the Patriots have the kind of game that the Titans and Colts run games also had earlier this year, then suddenly that's the three best run teams they faced all controlling the ball against them. I would start to say that that's a pretty significant trend. And I would then become very concerned about the bills, uh, AFC championship hopes because uh, you know, obviously the Titans are a different team without Derek Henry, but the Colts you could meet again, patriots you could meet again uh you know maybe maybe the cleveland browns if they get things going or another good run team that you could meet in the postseason like if, if you can't stop the run you're gonna you're probably gonna run into somebody who's gonna be able to line up and run the ball against you in january in the afc and so i would definitely downgrade my uh my expectations for the Bills being an AFC championship contender. If it proves against the Patriots, that they, they really are uh, weak when it comes to stopping these more powerful run teams. The next game I want to talk about, maybe the only other good game on the slate this week. There's just so many bad ones, but uh, this at least has some interesting playoff division title uh, hopes on the line, I guess you could say we got Broncos at the Chiefs. The Chiefs are favored by nine and a half in this, so it's certainly not necessarily expecting a close game. Maybe the Chiefs just blow them out, and it's another one of uh, what is probably many bad games on the schedule this week. But I do think it's a little bit interesting because the Broncos have kept things fairly close against the Chiefs in recent years, and I do think that there's some potential for them uh, to do so again in this game. Uh, so if I had a lean, my, my lean is the Broncos. Uh But because the Chiefs seem to be getting things back on track the past couple of weeks, the defense has been, you know, I wouldn't say it's good, but it hasn't been abysmal as it was for most of the season and on offense, they seem to be getting things back on track. Uh, So, yeah, I'm hesitant to say that I I really like the Broncos, but I, I do think this line is maybe inflated a little bit. I think one of the points that might be inflating is the fact that the Chiefs scored 43 points on them in one of the game's, Last year, however, there was an interception return for a touchdown and a kickoff return for a touchdown in that game. The Chiefs put up 43 points, but did so with only 286 total yards. And in the other game they played last year, the Chiefs only scored 22 points. But in 2019, they only scored they scored 30 points and 23 points. Now, 30 points that's a lot, but uh, relative to what the Chiefs were doing to some other teams in 2019, uh, it's, it's not a huge number. Um, so you know, the chiefs, I I mean, I think the Broncos have done a decent job shutting the chiefs down and, you know, look at what the Broncos did this off season. This is the first time we've seen them since they really overhauled that defense, especially that secondary. So it's possible. uh, We'll see the Broncos be even better against the chiefs than they have been in years past. So the fact that we've seen a trend of them having success slowing the chiefs down, that this might be a better Broncos defense than in past years, especially in the secondary. I, I, I kind of want to lean Broncos, but again, as I said, the Chiefs impro- improvement lately has me questioning that. Another reason why I'm kind of leaning towards the Broncos is I think that the Broncos, I mean, we, we know the Broncos want to control the ball in the run game. That's their style. And the Chiefs haven't been able to stop the run. Uh, so it is possible that the Broncos are able to just control the clock in this game. You know, I think the best example of that was what the Titans did to the Chiefs limiting to the limiting the Chiefs to only 23 minutes of possession in that game. Now the, the Broncos run game is not the Titans when they had Derrick Henry. It's certainly not to that level. So that's like kind of an extreme example. But it does show what team what your what a good run game is capable of against this Chiefs defense. So I I do think it's possible that the Broncos uh, have some success on defense, have enough success running the ball, controlling the clock on the offensive side of things they can limit possessions in this game and maybe keep uh, this game a little bit closer than that spread. I think all that also does add up to uh, me liking the under for the chiefs team total. The total of this game is up to 47 and a half, but I would lean more towards the chiefs under 28 and a half points. I think that uh, that's, that's a pretty high number. As I said, you know, they've gone over that uh, twice twice. Uh, in their four meetings over the past two years but one of those was a very suspect uh, number when they got to 43 points on the strength of an interception and a kickoff return touchdown now the other thing in addition to the Chiefs improvement as of late that makes me question this a little bit is can they stop Travis Kelsey in their second meeting last year specifically it seemed like the Chiefs came out with the game plan of let's just you know, force them to stop Kelsey. They targeted him 12 times. He had eight receptions for 136 yards. Uh, As I said, very clearly, that was a focal point of the offense, something that they seemed to want to do right from the get-go. And the Broncos were not able to stop it. Now, it it didn't lead to a dominating Chiefs victory, but it did seem to be something that they saw that they could do to the Broncos' defense, and they were able to do so successfully. Now, I already mentioned all the – Broncos changes on the defensive side of the ball, a big one being Patrick Sertan uh, and defensive coordinator Ed Donatel has already mentioned that Sertan will be an option for guarding Kelsey. So uh, maybe that works. I I don't know. I I'm going to, it's kind of going to be the thing that I'm going to question it until I see it. Uh, Because, you know, just putting your best cornerback on Kelsey, that sounds good, but then who's guarding Hill on the outside, you know, it, it raises questions elsewhere if you're going to do that. So I'm not necessarily going to have a ton of confidence that they're going to slow Travis Kelsey down in this game. If in fact, the chiefs come out with that kind of a game plan. So as I I said, I like the chiefs team total under 28 and a half points. I lean Broncos getting nine and a half in this game, but I don't love it because uh, we definitely seem to be watching the chiefs get things together and trend towards a pretty dominant direction. We we could certainly be entering postseason thinking they're a heavy AFC favorite once again this year, despite all their early season struggles. Let's move down to some player props that I like for this week. And the first one I'm going to start with is I like the under on Daniel Jones passing yards prop. This line hasn't been posted yet, but if you look at Jones over the past few weeks, he hasn't thrown for over 240 yards since week six. So that's a pretty good starting point as far as like a number that we would Hope to get. Um, and I think one of the reasons why I really like this is Miami's blitzing at the second highest rate this season, and they're generating pressure on blitzes also at the second highest rate. They're blitzing 37% of the time, and on those blitzes, getting pressure 48% of the time. So we know that Daniel Jones is going to be forced to throw the ball. Uh, get the ball out quickly in this game. Miami's average time to pressure is also 2.3 seconds, among the lowest rates in the league. So when they do get pressure, they're getting it quickly. So Jones is going to have to make quick decisions. That's not a strength of his. Uh, he is much better when he has time, uh, which he doesn't have often behind the, the uh, Giants offensive line. But when he does have time, we've seen him be relatively effective Uh, when he's been able to hold onto the ball for three plus seconds, he averages 8.1 yards per attempt. That ranks 18th in the league. So, you know, it's not great, but it's around league average. When he has to get rid of the ball in under three seconds, however, he averages 6.7 yards per attempt. That ranks 29th. So a pretty stark difference there in his ranks. Obviously, you know, a lot of quarterbacks are going to average more yards per attempt when they take time. So the fact that the yardage total jumps, isn't necessarily so significant. It's, it's where he ranks. He's basically league average when he's able to take three or more seconds and down near the very bottom when he's forced to get rid of the ball in under three seconds. So I think we're going to see Jones uh, have to make decisions very quickly against this Dolphins defense, and that's just not a strength of his. Um, we've also specifically seen him struggle against other teams that blitz at a really high rate. The Bucs and Panthers specifically uh, were two of his weaker games this season. Uh, the Bucks rank first in blitz rate, Panthers rank sixth, as I said, the Dolphins rank second. So uh, we've seen him struggle against these types of teams already this year. Dolphins seem to just be a really bad matchup for him. So I think the passing yards under, as I said, 240 yards would be ideal. It'll probably come in lower than that, probably maybe 215, 220, but I like the under. I think this is going to be a really tough game for Daniel Jones. The next player prop I like is the over on Devontae Smith's receiving yards prop. Uh, and this just looks like a great matchup against the struggling Jets defense uh, and specifically against Jets rookie slot cornerback Michael Carter. Uh, now Smith moves around a lot in the Eagles offense, but he lines up in the slot 41% of the time. And uh, because of this matchup with Michael Carter, I wouldn't be shocked if we see that number increase a little bit just as they try to manipulate that matchup because it looks like it would be a, a pretty big mismatch for Smith. Uh, as I said, just rookie cornerback Michael Carter is really struggling this year. He's averaging a 71% completion rate and 8.8 yards per attempt when targeted. Uh, only Carter and fellow rookie Marco Wilson of the Arizona Cardinals are the only two players allowing a 70% completion rate in coverage and eight or more yards per target. Uh, so, you know, I, I've brought this up. Many uh, weeks prior, if you've got a good matchup against a rookie cornerback, take the over. <laughs> That's what we're going to do with Devontae Smith this week. Um, and I mentioned how, you know, despite the fact that he moves around a lot, I'm expecting him to be matched up with Michael Carter a decent amount, possibly more than usual, because it seems like other teams have taken notice of uh, the Jets' inability to cover the slot. Just a couple of weeks ago, we against the Bills, uh, Stephon Diggs usually lines up in the slot about one-third of the time, right around 33%. Against the Jets, 50% of his routes came all lined up in the snap, but not all of those were against Michael Carter because the Jets were also trying to uh, avoid that matchup because that was an extreme mismatch. Um, But, you know, it it did seem like the Bills were trying to shuffle things around a little bit to try to manipulate some matchups and get digs into the best situation as possible. And, you know, I think the Bills are a team where they have a very clear-cut number one receiver, so it made sense for them to do that. Eagles are in the exact same situation. Devonte Smith is their clear cut. Number one, they want to get him the ball as much as possible. Why not move him around a lot? He obviously is comfortable playing in the slot because he does it 41% of the time already. Uh, why not increase that a little bit in this game? Seems like it would be a, a really smart, uh, smart move for them to make to try to you know get him in the best matchup possible. Uh, as far as where this line will be at, it's not posted yet, but over the last five weeks, uh, Smith's receiving yards prop has pretty consistently been available right around 60 yards, kind of in that 59 to 61 range. We've seen that number a lot. Um, so I, I think that looks like a very attainable number, even just from his slot usage. That doesn't even account for uh, what he's capable of doing lined up on the outside where he tends to see more uh, deep ball opportunities. So uh, assuming we get that same number right around 60 yards, I would even go a little bit higher than that, maybe even up to 65. I'd be surprised if it climbed higher than that, but Uh, If it's available somewhere in that range, I really like the over on Devontae Smith's receiving yards prop this week. Another player prop I like a lot this week is the under on Najee Harris's rushing yards prop. Now, the Steelers' run game got off to a pretty brutal start, but it started to pick up as of late. Harris has actually hit the over on his rushing yards in five of his last games after a really slow start. But this is just a really tough matchup against the Ravens' defense that – They also got off to a slightly slow start, and they've just been dominant, especially against the run lately. The rushing yards under has been a winner in six of the last seven games for starting running backs against Baltimore. And in that span, Baltimore allows only 1.4 yards before contact per attempt. That's the fourth best in that span. And last week against the Browns, obviously a very good offensive line, much better than the Steelers, certainly. Uh, the Browns averaged negative 0.2 yards before contact per rushing attempt. So I think that's a pretty good data point. The fact that they have, they have been good for a while now, the fact that they were able to completely shut down the Browns run game, uh, that that's pretty significant because we've seen the Browns be able to run the ball against many teams who knew that they were going to run the ball against them. And they just weren't, weren't able to stop it. Baltimore knew that the Browns were going to try to run the ball against them and they completely shut it down. So I don't see any reason why we wouldn't expect them to do the same thing uh, to the Steelers because the Steelers, obviously, much uh, the Steelers' offensive line is ill equipped to handle a dominant front seven like we've seen from Baltimore in recent weeks. And another reason why I like it is, you know, we expect Baltimore's front seven to, you know, cause a lot of havoc against the Steelers' uh, offensive line. And Najee Harris, although obviously very talented, dynamic running back he isn't very good at creating for himself when there is uh, a lot of chaos in the backfield, when he's contacted at, or behind the line of scrimmage, he averages 1.1 yards per attempt this year. That ranks 28th out of 45 running backs. So he's not terrible at it, uh, but it's not a strength of his. And I, I believe I mentioned this podcast, this came up early, early in the year too, that um, this just has not been a strength of his, even going back to college Harris um, Last year at Alabama, he averaged 1.7 yards per attempt when contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage, which ranked 19th out of 65 qualified power five running backs. Uh, So, you know, that's a stat where the more dominant college runners tend to be near the very top. Uh, Harris was much closer to the middle of the pack. Um, which, you know, given all his success at Alabama, you would certainly expect him to be higher. So the fact that he was kind of near the middle of in college, kind of near the middle of the pack now, I think that's a pretty good uh, indicator that this is just kind of who he is. He's not a player that's going to excel when he's uh, forced to create for himself, when the play gets blown up at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, just, just to throw another example out of another rookie, Javante Williams he's averaging 2.1 yards per attempt when contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage in Denver this year. That ranks fourth in the league, a full yard better than Harris. And in college last year, he averaged 3.4 yards per attempt when contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage, double what Harris did in college. That ranks second in college football last year. So this is a stat that definitely that there is some correlation between your ability to do it in college and in the pros. If, Uh, The play is blown up with the line of scrimmage. Certain guys like Javante Williams are just really good at finding those, you know, just two or three yards, just turning, finding something out of nothing. Uh, And that's just not a strength of Harris's game. So I think we're going to see a lot of negative runs uh, from the from Pittsburgh in this game. And, you know, if Baltimore is able to build a lead, it probably just forces Pittsburgh to abandon the run game altogether pretty early on. So this could be a really rough game for Harris, at least in the running game, obviously that, you know, all those rushing attempts could easily be uh, just turned into receptions for him. So like from a fantasy perspective, you know, I don't necessarily know that this would uh, change my projection for Harris. Cause we've obviously seen him get targeted at a really high rate also, but I don't, I, I don't think he's going to have success running the ball over the last six weeks. His prop has been available at an average of 77 and a half rushing yards. I, I just would be really shocked if he's able to, get to that number so if it's available at that same number i i love the under uh obviously the defense you know it's no secret that baltimore has been good against the run lately so i'd expect it to drop a bit but i mean really anywhere north of 60 yards which i i think will probably get a number north of 60 yards i'm taking the under in this one so uh as long as as i said as long as harris's rushing yards prop is available above 60 yards i'm taking the under in this game One last player prop to get to before we touch on the Thursday night game. Just going to hit on it real brief. I like the over on one of the Texans tight ends receiving yards. I don't know who's going to be available. Either Farrell Brown or Brevin Jordan. Uh, Brown's yardage prop has been available more often than Jordan's this this year. So I would expect Brown's yardage to probably be available, although Jordan has been targeted more often lately. Uh, it's going to be a really low number for either one of them. Uh, no one, none of the Texans tight ends have seen a yardage prop available uh, higher than nineteen and a half yards this year. So it's going to be a really low number. Um, but they're playing the Colts, and tight ends against the Colts are seeing an average of eight point seven targets per game and averaging seventy yards per game. So the Titan or the Texans don't throw to their tight ends very often but seeing how so many teams have really been able to exploit those matchups against the Colts defense, the Colts don't seem to have an answer for it. I just, I don't know why the Texans wouldn't try to come out and throw to their tight ends a little bit more in this game. Uh, It would, I mean, it would honestly just be negligent if they didn't attempt to, because the Colts just have been unable to stop it. You know, even if that's not a big part of your offense, you do have some athletic tight ends and Farrell Brown and Brevin Jordan, give them a chance, you know, come out, right out of the gate, give him a couple targets, see if he can get something going there. I I don't, I don't have a ton of faith in the Texans coaching staff. So, you know, maybe they just aren't smart enough to pick up on that trend like other teams have. Um, But if they do, you know, either one of those, maybe even both of them should be able to get 20 yards on a couple of targets because it just seems like the Colts have no answer to defending tight ends this season. So hopefully those lines are available. They haven't been available every week, but uh, search around and see if you can find it. Uh, you know, either one of those guys, if they're available, I'm probably taking the over so long as it doesn't get a, you know, a crazy jump based on the Colts inability to defend tight ends. So uh, I would expect those props to be able to be available, maybe between 10 and 15 yards. And, you know, if both of them are available by some chance, I might just go ahead and take both because both of those guys have seen targets in recent weeks. Let's move on now to the Thursday night game. We got Cowboys at Saints. Cowboys favored by six and a half in this game. Uh, Total set to 45 and a half. I've mentioned the past couple of weeks when I've, you know, kind of liked some road favorites that I was just hesitant to do it because it can be kind of risky on Thursday night. Uh, But both of these teams play last Thursday also. So I think we should probably treat it more like a regular season game. And I kind of like the Cowboys, uh, even giving six and a half just because the Saints have been destroyed by injuries. Uh, we've already heard that Marcus Davenport is out. Uh, Taryn Armstead, Ryan Ramchak, and Alvin Kamara, as of when I'm recording this, are still questionable. Um, if all three of those guys are out, I would definitely like the Cowboys. So, you know, I, I've already placed this bet, I was able to get it at five and a half. this line has been rising a little bit. Uh, I would say go out and get it before it rises again, because if we hear that Armstead Ramchick and Kamara are definitely out, I wouldn't be surprised if it jumped up above seven. Uh, And I think Davenport is really the big one. I think that's maybe one of the reasons why this line has climbed since we heard that he was definitely out. Um, I mentioned this on last week's podcast also, when he was questionable going into that game against the Bills, and I said I I really liked the Bills if he wasn't going to play because he really is their only pass rusher who's been consistent this year. When Davenport is on the field, the Saints generate a 30% pressure rate. When he's off the field, it's a 26% pressure rate. That might not sound like a huge difference, but comparing it to the league rankings, it's the difference between 16th and 29th. So when he's on the field, they're basically a league average at getting to the quarterback. And when he's off the field, they're a bottom-tier pass rush. And you know, just like last week, that makes a big difference against Josh Allen. It's going to make a huge difference against Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott, in a clean pocket, has a 76% completion rate and is averaging 8.4 yards per attempt. So he will take advantage of teams if you're not able to get pressure on him. And we've seen Dak in a few games this year uh, against teams that struggled to get pressure on him. There's actually been five games this year where he was pressured less than 30% of the time, which obviously without Davenport on the field, we're expecting that kind of a performance from the Saints in this matchup. And in those games, he's averaged a 72% completion rate, 279 yards per game, 11 touchdowns against just two interceptions. So he's been extremely efficient in those games. Now, you might hear those numbers and think that I'm leading you towards taking the over on Dak Prescott's passing yards. I'm actually not going to go there just because I think this is a possible blowout situation for the Cowboys. It would I would not be surprised. Uh, just based on all the Saints injuries, if they were able to run up the score on them a bit. And so I don't like the over in this game. I mean, I don't like the under either. It's just a stay away situation for me because, you know, I think it's a, certainly a possibility that they build a big lead and just lean heavily on the run game in the second half. We saw that happening against the Panthers. That was one of the games I mentioned. Although well, the Panthers do have a good pass rush. They did not get it going against the Cowboys. Um, That was one of the games included in that sample size, I said, where he was pressured less than 30 percent of the time in that game. He had four touchdowns. He was very efficient, but he only threw the ball 22 times for 188 yards. And I I think that's that's a kind of stat line that he's capable of against the Saints, because I think he'll have success throwing against them. And he just might not need to throw a ton uh, because the Saints might have a lot of issues. Uh, not only on defense, but on offense as well, missing a lot of key players. There is a prop that I like in this game, though, and that's the under on Leighton Van Is combined tackle. It's set to four and a half. He's only gone over four four times in 11 games this year, and I think there's multiple factors working in our favor on the under. The first being just the Saints' pace of play. They rank 27th in plays per game. They're, they're a pretty slow offense. And against a potent offense like the Cowboys – there's even more incentive for them to try to slow the game down just to bleed the clock, uh, limit the number of possessions you give to Dallas. So if the saints are able to slow things down, we could see fewer possessions in this game, fewer opportunities for Vander Esch. That certainly would work in our favor for the under another possibility here is I already mentioned, I think Dallas has the potential to run up the score on the saints a little bit, just based on all their injuries and because Leighton Vanderash has an extensive injury history himself, the Cowboys have been pulling him off the field pretty much whenever possible. When they play with a 10 point lead, Van Der Esch only plays 32% of the snaps. So I think if the Cowboys build a big lead, you know, if, if they have a big lead at halftime, we could only see Van Der Esch on the field for a small portion of the second half of this game. So this could be a situation where he either gets the over in the first half or he doesn't get it um, because they might just pull him off the field. So, you know, I mentioned the Saints, they're probably want to slow the game down, but even if Dallas forces them to pick up the pace, it probably means Bandarash is coming off the field in that situation. So it's not a situation where we could, where the game script could uh, backfire on us here and force Van Der Esch, uh to just to play more snaps. I, th- I think he's either, I think either the Saints are playing very slow and he's just not getting a lot of opportunities that way, or Cowboys have a big lead. And in that case, it just doesn't matter how fast the Saints play because Vanderashe is going to see fewer snaps. Now, the third factor here is specific to Vanderashe's usage. Uh, he mostly plays in two tight end sets. Six, he plays 65% of the Cowboys' snaps when they're lining up against a two tight end offense, only 47% of their snaps when they're lining up against a one tight end offense. That's significant against the Saints because the Saints only use two tight ends 27% of the time. And it's possible uh, we see even less than that because they have lost Adam Troutman as one of their many mounting injuries. Uh, So they're a little bit depleted at the tight end position. It would not be surprising if they use a very low rate of two tight end sets in this game, which probably further limits Vander Esch's usage just because of how the Cowboys have deployed him so specifically in two tight end sets this season. So, you know That's three factors working in our favor, the Saints' slow pace of game, the possibility that Van Der Esch comes off the field with the game uh, once it gets out of hand, and his usage tends to be more towards two tight end sets, which we don't expect to see a lot of from the Saints. So we've got three factors working in our favor. We've also got the trend of him only going over this number four, only going over four four times in 11 games. So all those factors makes me really like the under on four a four-and-a-half Tackles for Leighton Vanderash in this game. That's all I got for you for week 13's action. Hope you all enjoy your weekend and catch up with us again next week.